Our scripture reading today will be from Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11. Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of God. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basin, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Habihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Teresa. Um, several years ago, uh, I was talking with somebody uh, who was uh, reading through the Bible. They were on a, a reading plan to kind of get through it. Uh, they made it past Leviticus, and so once you get there, you can basically do it, right? But they were in uh, Deuteronomy, and they came across Deuteronomy 28. And, uh, and it confused them a bit. And, and the reason it confused them, if you're familiar with what's in Deuteronomy 28, uh, it's these uh, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And so, so after they read this list of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, this is what they said. You know, read this, doesn't seem very gospel-centered. You know, so we were a gospel-centered bunch. We were really big on the gospel of grace uh, and that we're saved not by our own works, but by the work of Christ. Uh, and so this idea of, of being blessed for obedience, being cursed for disobedience, didn't seem to jive with the way we'd been talking about the gospel and, and grace. And so, and so anyway, and it kind of went against this idea of legalism. Sometimes people think of legalism as maybe, you know, people who are trying to earn God's favor by doing good or trying to keep his punishment at bay by not doing bad. And so anyway, when this person comes across Deuteronomy 28, they see blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And then they hear this gospel message all the time that's harping on God's grace and it's not by works. And they were just thinking, which is it? Is it, is it grace or is it law? I mean, which, which one... Are we to think it is? And look, in order to understand how to answer that question of how to understand Deuteronomy or, or Exodus, 
we need to understand how God operates in his covenants. Okay, and the, and the way that Exodus is, is structured uh, in the first 15 chapters or so is about God delivering the people of Israel out, right? And then in 16 and 17, they're not doing so hot while they're kind of on their way to the promised land. And then in 19, they come to Mount Sinai. This is where we were a few weeks ago, and there's just terrible, awful sight of God coming down on the mountain, and there is smoke and thunder and lightning and all that. Uh, and he makes his presence known on Mount Sinai. And then on Mount Sinai, chapter 20, the, the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, then in chapters 21 and 22, 23, there's, there's more laws and regulations that's going out. And then in chapter 24, this covenant is being confirmed. So the way you need to think of Exodus uh, in these stages, think of Exodus 19 to 24 is, is, a, is a covenant being made between God and Israel. And in 24, it's becoming an official thing. It's kind of like in a marriage, there's, people are engaged, but at some point they say, yes, they say, I do, and it's official. Or if you've closed on a house, there's a day you have a closing date, and you go there and you sign the papers, and when you walk out of that office, like it's done, the deal's done. And Exodus 24 is, is when the deal is getting done, is where it's getting made. So God's making this covenant with Israel, um, and we see God make some distinctions in how he's going to interact with them. Look at uh, chapter 24. Verse 1 and 2. There's three different groups of folks that we're going to see in verse 1 and 2. It says, uh, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So there's three divisions right there. First, the people aren't supposed to come up on the mountain. They have to stay down. But second, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders... They're going to come a little bit closer, and, but not all the way, but they're going to be able to worship the Lord from afar. And then third and finally, only Moses can come near the Lord. And, and after this, Moses is going to come down. He's going to speak with people about his interaction with them. And from this interaction, Moses speaks about two things. He talks about the book of the covenant, and he talks about the blood of the covenant. And then somewhat surprisingly, we see Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Moses, and the 70 elders, they eat and drink before God. So, so that's what I want to look at today. Uh, I want to take a closer look at these three things. First, the book of the covenant. Second, the blood of the covenant. And then third, this eating and drinking that's happening on the mountain. So first, the book of the covenant. So this covenant is between God and Israel. God is revealing himself on Mount Sinai. And then in the preamble to the Ten Commandments, he says, I'm the Lord. I delivered you out of Egypt. Uh, he's the one that delivered them out of slavery. And God's desire, he's a general, we get this in chapter 19, he has an agenda with the people of Israel. He's going to make them his special people out of all the peoples of the earth. They're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right. And then if, if you look at Exodus, turn back to Exodus chapter 19, where God says this. He says, you will, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So notice in verse 5, in chapter 19, he says, If they will be his special people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, if they do something, if they obey his voice and keep his covenant. You want to be God's special people, Israel? Then you need to obey my voice and keep my covenant. And how do they respond? In chapter 19, verse 8, they say, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
They say the same thing again in chapter 24, verse 3. Moses came and told the people the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's a bold statement, right? All the Lord has spoken, we will do. Then in verse 7, a similar thing. He took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. It sounds suspicious right off the start, right off the bat, doesn't it? All right, so, so this is kind of like the I do moment. Uh, this is the, the closing the contract papers, signing things off. And so the book of the covenant is the commands that God gave Moses for Israel to keep. And it includes, as we'll see as it gets spelled out later on, it includes blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So the book of the covenant is a list of, list of commands that Israel is to keep if they are to become God's special people, his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. They will be blessed if they keep it, and they will be cursed if they don't. And much of what we read about the Bible, much of what you read when you go on past the, the first few books of the Bible is a historical account of Israel, and most of it is about them being cursed for disobedient. They don't do a great job. Uh, I had one seminary professor was, was helpful. He, he talked about the prophets in the Old Testament when they would say, you know, disaster is coming. He, he would call these prophets uh, covenant prosecutors. They would take what God has said, these curses he said, and then when Israel would turn from the Lord, these prophets would come up and they would be covenant prosecutors. They would say, bad things are about to happen because you've forsaken God, you've broken covenant. So that's the book of the covenant. Now let's talk about the blood of the covenant. So look at chapter 24, verse 4 through 8. So the blood of the covenant is what, what, I'm, what I'm shifting to now. Chapter 24, verse 4 through 8. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in its basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Verse 8, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. There's two ways to access God. Keep his commands, keep the book of the, co of the covenant, do everything that he has said, or blood. Those are the two ways you get to God, perfectly keeping his commandments or blood. The idea of the book of the covenant makes sense. There's two parties, you do this, we'll do that, it makes sense. But what about the blood of the covenant? What does that mean? Why did he throw the blood on the book? Uh, uh, why did he throw the blood on the book and then on the people? It's a weird moment, right? All right, we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we get a little bit of, uh, of an explanation about what's going on here and how we're to understand this. Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll look at verse uh, 18 to 22. And look, it's really important that we understand the difference of what's happening in this covenant. If we don't understand this, then we're going we're gonna to allow the old covenant to move into some new covenant thinking. And when you do that, you're going to get the gospel wrong. And when you get the gospel wrong, you get everything else wrong. So this might seem a bit tedious now, but we got to get this. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18 to 22. Therefore, not even the first covenant 
was, was inaugurated without blood. We're talking about this covenant that we just read about. Verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when I said earlier, there's two ways to God, keeping the book of the covenant, everything that God has commanded, or through blood, which means forgiveness. So the first covenant, the old covenant was inaugurated by blood. The book of the covenant was about obedience, and the blood of the covenant was about forgiveness. And Jesus is the fulfillment of both. Lloyd mentioned last week, Matthew 5, 17, where, we read, where Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant. He actually did all that the law commanded. That's why when he says that, that he has done everything that was required, was, as, as the Israelites said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they didn't. Well, Jesus did. And so he's the fulfillment of the book of the covenant, but he's also the fulfillment of the blood of the covenant. Turn to, to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to go back to Hebrews. So don't go, maybe piece of, put a bookmark or something there. We're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. But in Matthew 26, Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. It says this, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 27 to 29, he says this, where it says, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And then in Luke 22, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 22, with the same scene, Jesus says, It's the blood of the new covenant. There's a new arrangement. There's a new covenant being made. In the old covenant, priests had to make sacrifices repeatedly. So go ahead and turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. So the priests had to make these sacrifices repeatedly. But in the new covenant, Christ accomplished once and for all. If you've ever wondered, like, why don't we, you know, they have these sacrifices in the old covenant. Why don't we do that now? It's because Jesus did it once and for all. So turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 11 uh, to 18. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 18. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them. Talking about a new covenant. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And he adds this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So, so what do we see in the new covenant? 
The law is now on our hearts and minds. The law is not something that's external that Moses brings down and reads to the people. It's something that's internal. It's in us. It's a changing of the desires. It, it, it makes the, the commands of God a sweet thing. And it's also, verse 17, the forgiveness of our sins. So when we look at the new covenant, we're seeing this thing about the law and seeing something about the forgiveness of sins. So, so the book of the covenant is about law and obedience, and the blood of the covenant is about forgiveness. And so the old covenant, we have, here are the commands to keep them. They say, all that you've said we will do. Then there's the blood of the covenant. Both are required. And then here we see that the law is going to be put on our hearts as new covenant believers, and that our sins will be removed. So why are we not under the curse of Deuteronomy 28? Because Christ fulfilled both the book of the covenant and the blood of the covenant. He fulfilled the book of the covenant by keeping all of its commands and he took on all the curse. That's what happened on the cross. And he fulfilled the blood of the covenant by becoming the sacrifice for our sins. So that person was right. Deuteronomy 28 is not very gospel centered, right? You don't read that and think, hmm, it's encouraging. You're not going to find it on a coffee mug anywhere. If it is, you shouldn't buy it. It's a lame, who would put a whole chapter on a coffee mug like that? But anyway, the, the idea is that the old covenant is not very gospel-centered. The old covenant is what makes the new covenant good news. Here's what it does. It transfers the burden from us to God. And that's what you got to get. If you're ever going to read the Bible rightly, you have to understand the difference between the old covenant and what the old covenant's setting up and what the Old Testament's setting up and what the new covenant is. It's a transfer of the burden from us to God. The new covenant is the gospel. And, and, and so why, why is God going into all this trouble? What's, what's he doing with all this covenant making? Like he's, he's picking out Israel to be a special people. He has an old covenant, then later he changes to the new co covenant. What's his end game? What's he, what's he trying to do with all this? Well, you could say there's a lot of goals that he has. Talk about, you know, ultimate goals and other goals that God might have. And what I want to do is I want to point out one goal that God has in, in doing all this covenant making with the old and the new and everything he's doing with Israel and now with the church. In Exodus 19.4, we read that God brought Israel out of Egypt for a reason. He said, I brought you out to myself. He is bringing out a people to be with him. And in Exodus 24, we see God do something strange, Right? He brings Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders, and he brings them up on the mountain. So what are we about to have? More laws, right? This is what happens on the mountain. This is where the laws come down. What happens? They eat, and they drink, and they behold God. So let's move to this third part, eating and drinking. So in Exodus 24, 9 through 11, we read this. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. They ate and drank before God. And how does Jesus introduce the new covenant to us? At a meal, the Passover meal, right? Eating and drinking. And do you remember what Jesus said at the Passover meal in Matthew 26? He said, I will not drink this again. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Jesus is waiting. Today, Jesus is waiting to eat and to drink with you, with us. You know, if you imagine like a, a couple that for some reason had to spend some time away, maybe they're going to be apart for a month. And, and before they, they, they separate, they get a bottle of wine and say, this wine is going to sit here on this counter. And when you come back, we're going to drink it. We're going to wait and celebrate. And this is what the new covenant, this is what Jesus is saying. He is waiting on us to eat and to drink with us. He has an agenda. Once he makes everything new, we're going to eat and drink. And this is where all of human history is heading. Consider Revelation 19, verse 6 through 9. This is where all of human history is heading. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And here it is, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of human history is heading towards a supper. We will eat and drink before God, and Jesus is waiting on us to drink again from the fruit of the vine. And we know this because this is God who made this covenant. This was his idea. He's the one that performed it. He's the one that kept us. He forgave, forgave us for breaking it, and he kept it himself. The, the weight of your being reconciled to God does not rest in your ability to keep covenant. Do you get that? Do you understand that your standing before God does not rest on your performance? It rests on God's ability to keep covenant. And the goal of your being reconciled to God is not obedience. It's fellowship with God. If you think the main thing God wants from you is obedience, then you're going to approach God differently. Look, if you think about God mostly in terms of your obedience, then you're going to think the thoughts you think about God are going to be off. What we should think about is that what he wants from us is fellowship with us. And look, I don't want to create a false dichotomy. If you read 1 John, there's a sense where obedience and fellowship are mingled together. It's part of how it works. Part of how a good marriage works is you, you, you keep God's commands in marriage, and it's going to be sweeter with that. But there's a sense where if you approach God, what he wants from me is obedience, or what he wants is me. It's going to be a different approach to God. Some of you might have been like I've been before, where you doubt your salvation. You wonder if you did it right. Were you sincere enough? Maybe as you've, as you've grown in your theology, your theology has become a bit sharper, maybe a bit more precise. And part of with growing in theology is you can become a tortured soul. You can start to overthink things. The gospel's pretty simple. Or maybe some of you bargain with God. Maybe you're, you're, you're making God promises that you're going to do better. You're constantly telling God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and you sound like Israel. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. Maybe you're trying to build credit with God, so he, he's, he, he ought to bless you. He has to bless you. Maybe one of the things you're kind of anxious about is you know that you, you have a bad record. Not only have you done bad things, you feel like you still do bad things. 
and you feel like you're about to, you're about to get it, that, that, that God's about to just smack you down. That is an old covenant approach to God. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And when you have that framework, and that's the way you approach God, you're going to be off in everything else. So let me encourage you, those of you who have turned to Christ to be reconciled to God, it is His faithfulness that you rest in and not your own. Look, it's no secret. Your faithfulness isn't that great. (laughs) Neither is mine, right? That's why we rest in the faithfulness of God. And if you're haunted by the notion that you're standing before God is directly related to how you're doing this week or today, whether or not you're living up to all the Lord has commanded, I will do, then you're living under the old covenant. And and can you begin to imagine that we can impose an old covenant mindset into the new covenant? It doesn't take much imagination to see how that can drift into our thinking. But look, the the good news about being under the new covenant is that we no longer rest in our own faithfulness, but in God's faithfulness to himself to keep covenant. Charles Spurgeon imagined what this covenant that God made with himself might have sounded like among the Trinity. Uh, And he he, he wrote it down, it was written down, and I, I wanted to share it with you guys. So what I'm about to read to you guys is Charles Spurgeon imagining what God making a covenant within himself, within the Trinity, might have sounded like. And I'm going to read through uh, how Spurgeon imagined it to be with God the Father, then God the Spirit, and God the Son. So first, God the Father, making covenant. I, the Most High, Jehovah, do hereby give unto my only begotten and well-beloved Son a people, countless beyond the numbers of stars, who shall be by him washed from sin, by him preserved and kept and led, and by him at last presented before my throne without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I covenant by oath and swear by myself, because I can swear by no greater, that these whom I now give to Christ shall be forever the objects of my eternal love. Them I will forgive through the merit of the blood. To these I will give perfect righteousness. These I will adopt and make my sons and daughters, and these shall reign with me through Christ eternally. It's God the Father. This is God the Spirit. I hereby covenant, saith he, that all whom the Father giveth to the Son, I will in due time quicken, make alive spiritually. I will show them their need of redemption. I will cut off from them, from them all groundless hope and destroy their refuges of lies. I will bring them to the blood of the sprinkling. I will give them faith whereby this blood shall be applied to them. I will work in them every grace. I will keep their faith alive. I will cleanse them and drive out all depravity from them. And they shall be presented at last spotless and faultless. And finally, Jesus making covenant. My father, on my part, I covenant that in the fullness of time, I will become a man. I will take upon myself the form and nature of the fallen race. I will live in their wretched world, and for my people I will keep the law perfectly. I will work out a spotless righteousness which shall be acceptable to the demands of thy just and holy law. In due time I will bear the sins of all my people. Thou shalt exact their debts on me. The chastisement of their peace I will endure, and by my stripes they shall be healed. My Father, I covenant and promise that I will be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I will magnify thy law and make it honorable. 
I will suffer all they ought to have suffered. I will endure the curse of thy law and all the vials of thy, thy wrath shall be emptied and spent upon my head. I will then rise again. I will ascend into heaven. I will intercede for them at thy right hand and I will make myself responsible for every one of them that not one of those whom thou hast given me shall ever be lost. But I will bring all my sheep of whom by thy blood thou hast constituted me the shepherd. I will bring everyone safe to thee at last. This is God's covenant within himself that we're talking about here. And I know we're imagining this, but you got to understand that the covenant isn't just, did I say the prayer right? Was I sincere when I was 12 or whenever it is you have that? It's something, the new covenant is something that God is doing within himself. The new covenant is not about our faithfulness. It's about the faithfulness of God. Isn't that a relief? Y'all, that's the gospel, right? And so I want to encourage everyone today to not live under the old covenant and, and know that we tend to do that. We, we tend to, to move the old covenant into the new and no longer see yourselves as the keeper of the covenant. Look, all the Old Testament is basically making the case, can't keep covenant. We just mess it up. So don't see yourself as the keeper of the covenant. See this. See yourselves as the object of God's covenant. That's the gospel. That's dependable, not your faithfulness. That's the difference between the old and the new covenant. How do you see yourself in relation to God? Do you see yourself as the keeper of the covenant or do you see yourself as the object of the covenant? It is indeed good news to be the object of the covenant of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we read this about the new covenant and we find great relief. We know either explicitly or just kind of know intuitively that we just, we're off. We tend to drift away. We get confused. We're deceived. We deceive ourselves. We're sinful. And we read this. We read about the new covenant. We read that it is you who saves. And we don't need to pick apart what we might have done or how we might have done it. But we know this. Our God saves. He saves sinners. He brings them to himself. And we look to you, the finished work of Christ in accomplishing all things, uh, that the new covenant would require and would apply. We're grateful for that. Would you keep us mindful of it? And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.